I'm Q. I'm Jewish Dave. This is Bird Road. This is Bird Road. So uh, everybody out there, uh, we've got a great show coming up here, but before we get into it, make sure to subscribe to Bird Road, wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and check out the Twitter at Bird Road Podcast. And don't forget to check out Piecing It Together as well. So we need everyone to subscribe and review to the show so that we can do more jam-packed episodes like this one. Later in the show, I'm going to explain the uh, controversy surrounding near attendance confirmation to run the Office of Management and Budget to Dave, because uh, he's completely ignorant on the subject, and why it has more to do with EpiPens than tweets. Um, so we're going to get into that. And we'll also get into how one white podcaster's quest to contrive a situation where he can comfortably utter racial slurs has landed him in hot water. And no, Dave, it's not you. You are not the podcaster that we're talking about. But first, our guest, we are joined by state rep Anna Escamani from District 47 in Orlando, one of the few truly progressive voices in Tallahassee uh, or in Florida politics at large, really. Um, we're going to discuss some of the goings on in the state legislature, the governor's office around the state. Um, but first, we have to hold you accountable um, for it's, it's not fair. You're not your sister's keeper. But yesterday, your sister did post a tweet uh, in support of ska music. And <laughs> I, I'm sorry, but we have to, you know, we're not if, if we're not holding our elected officials accountable. I don't know. I, I warned her about this. I warned her because she did ask if she should tweet it. And I said, you're taking a risk. <laughs> <laughs> How soon Q forgets his twenties? Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, um, yeah, retconning my own history where I, I'm sure that I had a, a pair of um, checkered vans in uh, the late '90s, early 2000s. Oh my God, I love it! I love it. Oh, it's great to be a '90s kid sometimes. Oh, for sure. Um, so you, you are one of the rare people in this state uh, who seems to be beloved throughout their party, um, and I, I say that to draw a contrast between you. And our governor, Ron DeSantis, who seems to have enemies locally, nationally, throughout his party. I think Ron DeSantis is probably our governor, who is at the heart of so much of the news and so many of the things that we want to talk about today. I just kind of want to broadly start off with you working closely in Tallahassee and having to, you know, interact with, um, you know, that branch of government. Like, why does he seem like such a divisive figure even within his own party? I know why we don't like him. I know why I don't like him. But like, what is it about? Why, why can't he get yeah. along with guys like Rick Scott and down here, Carlos Hernandez, who's the you know very, very conservative mayor of Hialeah, um, which is one of Florida's largest cities and right here next to Miami. I don't know. What do you think? It's a great question. You know, I definitely think our governor lacks empathy and he isn't a very kind, respectful person. I mean, just look at his trajectory to where he is today. I mean, he rose from a, a very unknown member of Congress through Fox News showcases, became endorsed by President Trump, which skyrocketed him in the Republican primary to where we are today. And so not only not only does he lack complete experience in management, you know, in public policy, um, but he also he also continues to to lean on a small circle of people to be his advisors versus being a convener of other voices to a table. He keeps his table really small and exclusive. 
And then, of course, uh, he is actively doing two things at once. He's campaigning for re-election and he's campaigning for president of the United States. And his path to do that is to be like Trump. And so that type of behavior is not one that's collaborative. It's not inclusive. Um, and honestly, it's, it's quite damaging to some of the good work that executive agencies do. You know, there are good public servants, you know, within our executive agencies um, who are working overtime to try to meet the demands of government with very little resources um, and, and not good management. And I think his lack of management skills is so clear. Even even Senator then Governor Rick Scott would be a convener. Like yeah. he was kind of that, you know, boardroom style guy. Yeah, so he was he a very have, much like a technocrat who could. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. 100%, 100%. And it's funny, I remember talking to one of our agency heads um, uh, who focuses on like s business development for small businesses and, and, and so forth. And he made a comment to me that he's like never really met the governor. Yeah. And he just talks to the chief of staff. But when Rick Scott was in office, uh, they would always have like pre-scheduled convenings, right? Um, and so it's, it's definitely very, very different uh, uh, leadership style. And of course, his his attitude is very polarizing. Yeah, you touch on the idea of like the central planning and the function of the uh, of that branch of government, the executive branch of government. And I don't think that there's any place that we're seeing that play out more stark than in the realm of who gets the vaccines next, right? Because uh, just this morning, the I think it was the Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Times came out with um, with uh, this article where they're talking about how Florida is the only state that doesn't have this clear progression or this clear chain of um, anticipated, you know, release. That must be really frustrating. I know that you're the kind of person that's like in your community a lot, like physically in yeah. your community a lot. I mean, what are you hearing from people? And like, what are you hearing from, you know, Tallahassee is, is there, there must be some sort of manifest frustration of, uh, surrounding this this botched rollout. Dave's out in Vegas. Dave at least generally broadly knows as like a you know forty year old guy when he, healthy guy when he's going to get vaccinated. I mean, and the, right. the same can be yeah. said for every state except for Florida. What's going on? Right, it's such a great point. the 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 vibe on the ground from directly impacted people, from everyday Floridians, is a whole lot of stress. Um, you know, we've been working with a lot of parents who have children with disabilities, and these kids are at risk. And even the governor's first executive order in Florida around the process of who can access a vaccine, three different groups were defined over the age of 65 folks, uh, uh, medical workers and at risk people under the age of 65. That at risk population is supposed to be serviced by our hospital systems. And that's not happening. I mean, it's it's happening. Uh, uh, selectively, like hospitals are kind of choosing, well, we're going to do our cancer patients right now, you know, based on how many vaccines are even getting. And in the very beginning of this rollout, despite the executive order saying at risk folks can get can get vaccinated at hospitals, hospitals are not given an allotment specifically for at risk people. So the hospitals were prioritizing their staff, you know, and, 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 and there were other stories of hospitals giving out access to board members or um, uh, uh, administrative staff, not frontline staff. So there's all sorts of, of ethical quandaries here that are, are thanks to the press are being investigated, but it was up for the state. They, they would just draw, you know, away from it and kind of ignore it from even happening. And then you get down into, into your point, Dave, around 
around just the transition of different populations of people, including teachers and teachers have been very, very stressed and, and waiting in Florida. Um, there's all this talk uh, coming out of the CDC even and the Biden administration around reopening schools, which teachers want to do, but their safety matters. And and if we get teachers t- vaccinated and they're going to things will get back to normal a lot faster because that aspect of our lives will will, will be restored of yeah. kids going into us into into an educational environment. Um, and, and so when we've asked the state of Florida for a plan, I mean, this has been a request since December, the response we were getting back a lot was that, listen, it's hard to have a plan when we don't know how many vaccines we're getting every single week. And this was under the, the Trump administration when, um, there really, there, there wasn't a lot of consistency. Allotments were going dramatically down versus up every week. Um, but now there's really no excuse. It's like, you have an administration that's increasing vaccine development and supply chain. Uh, like, like uh, you have other state plans to model on. And candidly, Florida has always had emergency management plans. Like, it just kind of kills me inside. Where you know, as a, as someone who cares about good governance, we have plans of different disasters. There's definitely going to be you know resources we can lean on as a state. To, to, to draw a timeline for people. And end of the day, it's all about creating certainty. You know, as politicians, we should not be creating more chaos. We should be calming the chaos. Mm. And, and a plan is, is, a, is an easy way to do that. Yeah, it's, it's funny because you, you earlier, we were talking about like this small circle that, that the governor has or appears to have. And then you just touched on I mean, like, I'm going to call it, well, there's probably some legal implications if you call it what it is, but I'm going to call or I'm going to call it what it appears to be. There seems to be out and out corruption and favoritism. Um, we've seen news stories just this week about um, different communities in Republican strongholds, specifically DeSantis's uh, home areas, uh, you know, where they've had these sort of bespoke vaccine, luxury vaccine centers. We have some of that down here in Miami too, Fisher Island is pretty much like the safest place in the country right now because nobody has the, other than maybe the, um, you know, that the help, uh, everybody is vaccinated, even the help probably at this point. Um, but like, how difficult is that? Why is that happening? And like, is there a way for us to be able to have a little bit more faith in this process when we see, um, you know, this preferential treatment for large Republican donors and strongholds and these neighborhoods, these like, you know, little, um, you know, gated communities that, that, that seem to be working on a different healthcare system than the rest of us. Completely, completely. I mean, it's a pretty case example of a politician leaning on their personal network, which is also going to be a space where they're most comfortable. Right. Um, and also cutting favors for those who have been good to that politician. I mean, it's just, it's so cut and dry. It was the same concern with publics. When Publix basically had a monopoly over vaccine distribution in the state of Florida for several weeks, if not a month. And, you know, that's not just about vaccines. I mean, it's also new customers for Publix. It's good marketing for Publix. Uh, it, it's it's for their brands. I mean, it's, you know, I'm listening to Pandora uh, and hearing Publix ads. Yeah about how they're working hard to deliver the vaccine. So they're spending marketing dollars on yeah. their image when it comes to distributing the COVID-19 vaccine. It's not a commercial to, to schedule an appointment, it's a commercial about how good they are being a part of this this problem program. I mean, it's yeah. just- and it's, 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 there's, there's 
something messed up baked into that because I know for a fact that if I go to the Publix on Curry Ford and Semeron, I'm not going to, my, 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 right. abuela, my abuela wouldn't be able to get the vaccine right now. Right. I know it. I already right. know because of right. where that area is, because of where 100%. it is. And it's completely governed by these, like this, this pettiness kind of. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. I mean, it is, it is absolutely feeding into systematic oppression. These systems that we're trying to dismantle, we're basically feeding into them, whether it's based on who has bought the most political influence or what corporations have bought the most political influence. I mean, it's, it's, these are the systems that have created the economic disparities we live in. And yet we're using those same systems to distribute the vaccine. If we really cared about disparities, we would do the opposite. <laughs> like we would get out of our comfort zone. We would explore, um, you know, ideas that go beyond our donor base. <laughs> we would, we would make, build new relationships, right. To, and build new trust to get this vaccine out. But, but again, you know, our, our governor is not operating under a approach of, of of inclusivity he's very much approaching under under a, a process of, of political preference of favoritism um and you know he'll he'll get cutbacks in response i mean in the day these these private gated communities were branding this as like an exclusive offer for yeah. living in this community or being a, a member of this community right. i mean that is really messed up to say that you know, here's a perk for being a member of our gated exclusive community. Like, no, life-saving vaccines are not perks. Like life-saving vaccines should be readily available to every person, no matter where the hell you live. And if anything, we should be, uh, if we're going to, if we're going to use these properties, it should be open to all surrounding zip codes. I bet if that was done, the residents of those neighborhoods would not want vaccines anymore, yeah. right? If we were inviting black and brown people and poor people to come into your community to get the vaccine, you know they would have totally changed their mind. And that's what's messed up about it. Jewish Dave is on Zillow right now looking up that community. He's like, oh, I wonder if there's anything any houses available. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds nice. Um, no, but you you know, I, I want to kind of deftly transition um, to a slightly different topic, but you did mention something that provides a good segue, which is like, um, you know, the sort of fact that we should be deconstructing some of these these structures, some of these things. That, I mean, Florida, there's a reason that this show exists, and it's because in, in Florida, like the structures and of, of kind of like oppression that are just baked into the way things are, are so strong. You, you have an organizer's background, like you organize in your community. I want to get you to weigh in on this for, you know, I, I kind of want you to like zoom out a little bit and 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 consider this issue of the HB one protest bill um, mm -hmm. from a little bit of a wider because people get again for people who don't know this or people who are outside of Florida, this is the proposed bill that came from uh, Governor DeSantis's office that would you know basically legalize beating the living shit out of and arresting um, protesters or uh, it, why you know it would it would it would give pass to you know huge acts of violence that would presumably tamp down any kind of pro public protest. And um, the details are many splendored and horrible. And um, I think, and I've talked with Dave about this before, I feel like this is almost like a pay on to his base. Again, we talk about him serving his base. I don't even know if this is a bill that's intended to really pass. Like this seems more like it's an, a bill that's intended to generate headlines yeah. and, and virtue signal kind of. What, mm -hmm. from, from Tallahassee, like what is your perspective on HB1 and I, I mean like clearly you're against it I know because you know the kind of people who would be marginalized by it are the people who support you 
And, um, you know, I, I don't know. What, what do you think? I think you're spot on when it comes to both virtue signaling and also culture wars. So this is not the first time Governor DeSantis has pursued legislation for a political agenda to just rally up a base. Going backwards to my first legislative session as a freshman, we had the anti-sanctuary cities bill. That was his priority. Then we have the E-Verify bill my second year, and now we have HB1. We also have the you know the tech and transparency bill trying to go after companies for deplatforming right. President Trump. Um, there's also right now the voter suppression bill trying to basically uh, uh, require an annual renewal of vote by mail request compared to the system we have today. And so, yeah, absolutely. The governor is the governor picks these hot political topics that he finds to be advantageous to his political base and his long-term political future. He he rolls it out in a dramatic way, and then the legislature waters it down. Mm -hmm. That's what's wild, too, is that the original version that Governor DeSantis presented back in September when he was flanked with law enforcement officers – that's not the bill that we have yeah. in front of us. In the election season, in in the heat of election season. Exactly. In September, during 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 2020 election cycle, um, I mean, it was very clear this was a political stunt. Absolutely. But he gets to the legislature, and guess what? Senator, Senate President Wilton Simpson doesn't really like the bill that much. No. Like, he actually doesn't think that it's constitutional. So they create this watered-down version that is still really dangerous. It's not exactly what the governor wanted. It's still super dangerous because they've cut a deal. Right. They've cut some sort of deal for the governor to get his wish list, which is basically at this point, not only is it is it is it, it is legitimately dangerous, but it's 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 more the optics more right. than even the policy meat. And then at the same time, I'm sure the Senate president, whatever, whatever he wants, he's gonna get. Like, right. and so it's it's used as a as a political bargaining chip like in the process but at the same time endangers our people of color it it, it strips away our ability to express dissent um it targets it it, it targets uh um uh, uh, the issues of police brutality by if anything giving more permission for it to take place versus yeah. actually addressing it and so so yeah i mean from a larger political macro landscape it's very much a game and that yeah. is so sad and scary because we shouldn't be playing with people's lives and what what drives me up the wall is that there are so many other issues we could be dealing with right now whether it's unemployment housing evictions vaccine access i mean there's so much good bipartisan work we could be doing right now but instead instead the bills that i get to see include corporate liability, online sales tax, yeah. which is a, another tax on consumers right. and, uh, and other like trial attorney versus business bills. I mean, it's like, how are these the priorities this session yeah. when everything else is happening around us? And, and it's crazy too, to be in Florida is to, to live in Florida is to live in a place where every so often we pretty clearly let our voice be known. We want a $15 minimum wage. We want marijuana decriminalization. We want felons to be able to uh, participate in democracy if they've served their if they've served their time uh, and their debt to society. And those things that we clearly let let Tallahassee know that we want get slow rolled, or they get their knees cut out from underneath them. And it's and and then meanwhile it's like oh yeah, so we've heard what you want. Um, here's what we've got: a protest bill, 
a bill that makes it harder to uh, to to participate in democracy, a bill that you know uh, you know strips away funding from you know democratic centers and in, in urban areas, and it's 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 very infuri- infuriating. I can Completely. only imagine. it's like you, you took the complete opposite yeah. <laughs> of what we're trying to say, yeah. and then and then they they make the 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 direct democratic opportunities they make the constitutional ballot amendment process harder there's another bill right now to increase the threshold uh to 66 percent you know right now for any ballot amendment in florida you have to get more than 60 percent to pass it's really freaking hard to do that and yet we did it with 15 dollars minimum wage so now they want to increase it to 66 percent yeah i mean it's just a constant cycle of taking away our rights and and making it much harder to interact with our democracy so again, switching gears, I, I, we talk about all of all these things emanate from like basically a, a Republican supermajority in, you know, not technically a supermajority, but I mean, what they call a triple play, right? Or what they call it, whatever. They're, Republicans are in charge of the judiciary. Um, generally, they're always in the in the in the in the governor's mansion and control both houses of uh, uh, both state houses. And. That's weird for a state that is almost always 49.9, 51.1 in election outcomes. And you and a lot of other people that we've had on the show, actually, we just a couple months ago, we had Tomas Kennedy on the show um, talking about this, nice. uh, rightly point at our own state Democratic Party, which you are a leader, a leading Democrat in this state, but our Democratic Party, our official corpus of of, uh, of the party, is in terrible shape. Um, just recently, in the last few weeks, it came out that uh, due to mismanagement, a bunch of employees had lost their health insurance at mm-hmm. a very key time without even knowing it. Incurred mm-hmm. these enormous bills. Um, that's just it, that's that's one story, a horrible story, but that's just one story about sort of the mismanagement of eight years ago. When I was at Baudelaire Hispanic Magazine, some listeners remember that I used to be the managing editor over there, and we wrote an article about like, is Florida safely a blue a, a, a blue state now? Is it like, will it ever go red again? And wow. uh, when we saw when we saw the way that um, Obama performed for the second consecutive um, the mm-hmm. the second consecutive cycle, uh, beating Romney here after he'd beaten McCain here, we thought that this was going to be a completely different state and. I personally hang a lot of the blame on on the function of the state party, but how do we fix it? I guess apart from the sour grapes and how, like yep. what, what disrepair it's in right now. Well, we have a lot of healing to do. That's for sure. Um, the state I should party- say I should say to the listeners that um, that that Rep Escamani hosted a really helpful kind of town hall for progressives like a, i think it was like a week or two after the election yeah. after after yeah. Uh, the whole country if you were a democrat the whole country was celebrating except for florida where we got our asses <laughs> handed to us yet again um and it was a very helpful uplifting and um instructive uh instructive session that uh, zoom call but anyway i'm sorry to interrupt go ahead no you're great i mean that 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 conversation was really important in building my manifesto of like what went wrong and what we need to do better. And I mean, first of all, from the from the party lens, I have been very critical of the Democratic Party for a while now. And I say that as 
someone who was a DEC membership chair for three years. I've been involved with, with my local party since I was 20 at UCF. So it's over a decade now. Um, and so I do see the value in strong uh, party uh, infrastructure on the ground. Uh, but uh, the FTP does not reflect the grassroots efforts that DCs are trying to do with very little resources. Um, and a deep contrast, FTP is essentially a, a, a corporate slush fund for consultants. I mean, a lot of big donors don't give to the party anymore because they they keep seeing their money get wasted. And and the executive directors would cut checks for themselves. I mean, this was not this is not a new a, a new occurrence. I mean. Democratic Party chairs and and in particular executive directors learned how to make money for themselves 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's very much become a, another corrupt system where um, executive directors, you know, cut big checks to consultants and I was to get a part of that check back, you know, in, in making the referral. Um, they, they might manage campaigns on the side, making more money from leveraging FTP resources for specific candidates. And of course, when you're making decisions that are grounded in consultant recommendations, then uh, you're going to you're going to misspend a lot of money because end of the day, consultants are going to be very very passionate about recommending types of, of expenditures that they get commissioned for. And I'm not saying you know we shouldn't be on TV or we shouldn't be we shouldn't be doing mail or we shouldn't be doing different types of digital. I mean, I'm a big fan of digital when it comes to campaigning, but you also got to be on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> and investing in field is 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 very time consuming. I mean, it's harder. It's harder than filming a fancy TV commercial and and putting it on air, right? Like building a movement on the ground, one that's multiracial, multi-class, and multi-generational. It's a lot of hustle. It's a lot of personalities. It's a lot of work, and and but that's the difference of how you of how you actually win in a state like Florida. A lot of folks have asked me, is Florida a red state or a blue state? And I like to think that we're a rainbow state. We are every color under the sun, and we have to we have to lead by our values to to appeal to all those types of people. When we don't have values from the top of our party, when the top of the party is totally chill with corporate giving and and uh, doesn't hold sugar accountable or fossil fuel companies accountable when there's just empty anti-Trump rhetoric and platitudes, but not actually like substantial improvements in your life. I can't blame voters for not coming out. Like if you don't think your life is going to get better based on a Democratic leader, then why the hell would you vote? Right. Like people mm -hmm. like I was thinking this morning, how have how have, how have Democrats in Florida substantially improved people's lives? Like I'm looking at all the potential gubernatorial candidates right now. And I'm thinking like, how have, how have they actually improve, improve someone's life? And honestly, it's hard to find a lot of good examples. I mean, beyond like, you know, uh, like the flag wars right now yeah. and like, let's, let's stick it to the governor. We're not going to, we're not going to put our flags at half staff or rush Limbaugh. It's like, I'm sorry. Wait, hang I'm on. Let me. I just uh, got to check that off my questions. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But I mean, it's like I am. I am dealing with. I mean, I am dealing with like unemployment claims that keep coming in, and I just got an email this morning. The subject line is eviction. You know, like like these are the stories that we're getting from people. Meanwhile, we're trying to plan our own vaccination events to focus on on people of color. And, and, and working class folks with two different churches in our community, like we're actively trying to do these things. So like, not only, not only uh, I, I, you know, do what's right, but to really demonstrate that 
elections matter. And when you let people that give a damn and show up, then your life will substantially improve. Like we have to offer folks a contrast. We have to offer folks a reason to come out. And we also have to build relationships so that when we do get attacked, people realize, well, hey, I know that girl, you know, she came to my door or she was at the she was at that event I went to, or my friend is, is a neighbor of hers. Like those relationships are what helps to combat the disinformation and the misinformation, which democratic party did not, did not combat or even address. But of course there was very little outreach to communities of color and folks of different languages. And the misinformation just spread like wildfire on, on WhatsApp and other platforms that many immigrant families uh, rely on. And we didn't have anything to combat that. And we certainly um, it were, were completely outworked by the Republican Party who were on the ground, who were talking to folks in different languages. Um, and, 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 and granted, you know, we will always be outspent, I think, as a party, because at the end of the day, the, a lot of money goes to, a lot of money comes from the status quo. So a lot of money is gonna go towards who is in power to maintain the status quo. Right. But at the end of the day, money was not a problem in 2020. We had so much money come into Florida, but the way that it was spent is a problem. And and now we have a party that's in debt. Uh, the Wisconsin Democrats bailed us out. Yep. <laughs> it was the Wisconsin Democrats that transferred $300,000 to get people their health insurance back. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And uh, and, and you know, we have a lot of a lot of just repair work to do, which right. is why. I'm starting my own voter registration fund. We're starting to raise money for voter registration statewide. We're partnering with different groups who've been on the ground doing this work. We want to cut checks to, to grassroots organizations, not create new organizations, but cut checks to organizations already on the ground who just need extra help to amplify their work. Um, and so I'm really excited that like we're going to be in a place to do that because at this point, no one else is. Yeah, that's this earthworm weird consultant world where like you have maybe a successful uh, uh, advisory or consultancy and then the five directors from that go off and they start their own advisories and their own consultancies and then they you know it just becomes this 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 uh, morass of um, different hands that you have to feed without actually accomplishing a lot of a lot of things um, with respect for your time and understanding that this is going to come out on Wednesday evening, what uh, do you have coming up that people can participate in? I know you're doing a few different town halls today, um, but where can people catch uh, yeah. up with you? We have, um, well, thank you so much again for the invitation. This was awesome. I wish I could spend like more time with you. <laughs> We're going to have you back on. We'll, we'll have I you back on. Wait. We didn't even I touch on wait. climate I change. We didn't touch on schools. We got so much stuff we got to talk about. <laughs> awesome. No, I can't wait. Uh, and, you know, I first just want to encourage everyone to keep track of legislative session because we get started on March 2nd. So, um, you know, follow the process. If you like politics, Florida Channel is your best friend during Florida session. You can watch live committee hearings and see the debate of these really important issues. Um, for us and our team, you know, keep in touch with us. We're on all social media platforms at Ana for Florida um, with two ends all spelled out at Ana for Florida. And uh, we are always hosting virtual events. I mean, every Friday at 5 p.m., we do have our virtual office hour where we just, we just answer people's questions that come in. Um, we do have programming being planned for Women's History Month. Um, we're going to be doing um, a lot of session updates throughout the next 60 days and uh, and, and just continue to find ways to, to show for people and make sure folks are 
are going to get through this pandemic and that they're going to be empowered to, to grow as leaders in this work. And uh, um, again, I, I, thanks for the invitation to both of our Daves. This was awesome. And, uh, I look and don't to forget to follow uh, Ida on uh, for, le- for less less than Jake and Real Big Fish updates on Twitter. Yeah. You well, see. just to be clear, my sister is also a freelance writer for uh, Punk News and for our local uh, weekly here my in Orlando. Fo- my former job, my former job. Your former job, no, I'm yeah. Just kidding. So, but, so <laughs> my she, dream uh, job. <laughs> she's a lot cooler than I am. I am, despite the the ska reference. <laughs> and so, definitely check her out too. Yeah, at Ida underscore V underscore E, and she is a boss babe. And uh, yeah, definitely follow her too. Do you know how many people have spent entire episodes interviewing me now? For the past three years. Nobody has literally ever cared to interview me. Nobody gives a shit. Nobody cares. It's because I'm washed. Nobody will interview me. But you know why? Because they're afraid of what I might say. This is true. Yeah. They're afraid of my, my mm-hmm. ideas. Yeah. That, they, that, you know, it's the cancel culture, dude, is what it is. Yeah. You know? Oh, so you're saying that you've you've been preemptively canceled I've been preemptively before canceled. anything came out there there is like a ripple of awareness around the ideas that I have in my head and mm. um, subliminally telepathic people just mm-hmm. know like we can't let a guy like that on the air it could be like um, that uh, that 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 famous movie um, uh, news guys. Yes. Where he, yes. he says, he leans out the window and he says, this is all a bunch of bullshit and you're a bunch of fuck faces and I'm going to kill every one of you. And then everybody starts leaning. in that movie. Great direction. You know, mm-hmm. like a lot of like the tonality really went on to inform what would become 80s and 90s, um, you know, cinema where, you know, then after that, you see a bunch of people leaning out their window and saying, this is fucking bullshit. <laughs> I'm going to kill every one of you. And they're all just like, you know, it's like, it. I feel like it was a precursor for the internet really. And what sure. we, what we became because, yeah. um, you know, when you look into that black mirror, Dave, what's really looking back at you, it's not the rest of the world. It's yourself. I think about that a lot, actually. Um, <laughs> I can't but, uh... stop thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> so what do we want to talk about? How much time do I have with you, by the way? You've got about 18 minutes with me right now. Bullshit. So. I'll take all the time that I need with you. Um, Dave, what do you know about Mike Pesca? Did you ever listen to The, the Gist? I uh, never listened to The Gist. I, I All I know about Mike Pesca is this link that you sent me. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. So let's, let, let's set the table. Mike Pesca was one of the, uh, I mean, like he was really kind of a pioneer in um, podcasting. He used to be, he was this guy that was on NPR that I would hear uh, who was like a sports talk guy, but he wasn't really a sports talk guy. He's like a pretty genuinely smart, kind of a bloviating, like New York type guy. His voice did not fit in with NPR at all. So they would like transition to, they'd be like, what do we do with this guy? He's got like this big, dumb New York voice. What do we do with him? Oh, let's just make him be the sports guy. And he's a pretty smart guy. So he knew enough to just, you know be the sports correspondent but that was like um kind of a misuse of him uh, he's he's like a like sort of one of these like i don't know 
like a like a like a quasi intellectual type. Look, I used to listen to his show that was called The Gist. I think it's still on. It's probably off now because of the story we're about to talk about. But um, he he went to work for Slate. At Slate, he carved out this niche as a daily, um, basically like a daily column in podcast form with an interview, and it was a cool, you know, update. He was he's a smart guy. He had funny, interesting things to say, and mm. I would listen to the show every day. And you kind of noticed, especially like in the run up to to Trump getting elected and Trump taking office, that he was like. Um, he was kind of like falling into boomer territory. And I don't know how old he is. I don't know if he's Gen X or boomer or whatever, but he's sort of like spiritually a boomer. Like you can tell, right. like he, he just is, he's one of these guys. That's like, like just a typical, like neolib type guy. Anyway, hadn't listened to his show because in my mind it had become this anachronism. Like I was not going to listen to those kind of shows in the era of Trump. We started, you and I started listening to, to different podcasts. We started our, our own podcast. That was, um, dare I say a little bit more irreverent, than mm-hmm. than that, sure. uh, than the gist. But um, I hadn't thought about Mike Pesca for a long time. The last time I thought about him was about two or three years ago when he came out saying, we came out basically against the Green New Deal, saying that the Green New Deal just wouldn't work. And he's like that kind of lib. lib sure. Like, the like, yeah. no, the Green New Deal is unrealistic type, you know. Uh, it, it pretends that he has information that you don't have, but his information is flawed and whatever. It's just like a schism of um, belief. I like Bernie, but it'll never work. Yeah, that guy. He's a, he's <laughs> yeah. that guy. Bernie seems like a great guy, but uh, you know, I'm a New York guy too. But yeah, you know, <laughs> is anybody gonna really vote for it for him? Uh, so anyway, um, the kind of guy that discounted Bernie in 2016, discounted Bernie in 2020, discounted Trump in 2016, um, was like r- ridiculously wrong about Trump. He spent almost like ha- I felt like half of his shows were about how Donald Trump will never get elected in mm. 2015 and 2016 and then of course we know what happened um so anyway this sort of anachronism of podcasting day era passed right I hadn't really thought about him very much and then I saw this New York Times article that just was literally the least surprising thing I've read in in weeks <laughs> headline Slate suspends podcast host after debate over racial slur. Mike Pesca of The Gist said he was suspended after defending in a Slack discussion with colleagues the use of the slur in some contexts. And folks, you know what slur we're talking about. <laughs> I, I had to, uh, you know, search my mind to try to try to figure it out. It took it took a minute. But well, with, with then, like, I, when, then I got it though. Yeah. When the Times writes about stuff like this, they always make it incredibly like dense and like it's difficult to like tease it out because they don't want to give any like it's like they want to report on the story but they don't really want to tell you like what the fuck you know what the fuck they don't yeah. want to they don't want to imply that the word has even existed in their right. own heads yeah. so like they have to you know put it out there like that it's like a guilt thing you don't want to accidentally think the word too yeah it's so. like a candy man you don't want to say it you know out loud you just want it like and, and you don't even want to, like, if you, if you even think about Candyman, he's going to show up. And um, that's not coded, by the way, just because Candyman was a black guy. Um, that's not, I, I, I could have said, uh, who was it? Bloody Mary. But I made the choice not to. So what does that say about me? 
that I'm yes. just as bad as Mike Pesca. Anyway, uh, yes, the are. online publication Slate has suspended a well-known podcast host after he debated with colleagues over whether people who are not black should be able to quote a racial slur in some contexts. We have known this guy for like at least 25 years. Mm-hmm. We knew this guy in high school. The guy who was like, what if I'm actually quoting someone else who said it? What if I'm singing a rap lyric? What if, I, and it's like, my thing, because you and I have known just a whole bunch of non-black people that use that word very liberally. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and and not in like, again, I don't want to say not in a racist way because it is it is racism when you use it. It doesn't matter if you're if it's like an appropriation or whatever. It's still it's still you know, it's still it still is what it is. Like I mean right. whatever. But like, I I guess like there are two different types of guys that make this case. There's like young like wigger rapper in the late '90s, early 2000s guy, right? Um, or it could be Asian, Asian guys and, and, sure. and Latino guys. They use it a lot, man. Oh, and, yeah. uh, and then, and then there's this guy, the white guy who's like the intellectual, who's trying to like, he, like, he's got like a Bunsen burner and like a beaker and he's trying to do a science experiment of like when it's okay <laughs> to say it. And like, I don't know, man, what has been your experience? What do you think about these guys who are like so invested in the concept of being able to to say the n-word yeah because it, it is it's it's one of those debates and, and we kind of talked about this a little bit beforehand but like it, it's one of those things where it's like the the right uh stance to have on this is no stance at all like, no you stance don't at all. you you just do not have this discussion <laughs> because there's there's no real way to get out of it like treat it, it like treat it like you you encountered a dangerous animal in the woods just back away <laughs> quietly back away and leave and maybe cover maybe cover your tracks a little bit yeah like but like just back away from it why engage with this debate like why is why have this debate it doesn't affect like if if you're and and on a slack chat yeah and on a slack chat with a bunch of people (laughs) who have who bring a bunch of lived experiences to to, and you've got a freaking family you need to provide for why are you making this be your thing don't let this be your thing like it's 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 so pointless and it's like it's not about like cancel culture social justice warriors winning the day or like the chilling of free speech there's so much other shit that's chilling free speech right now that like i mean there are uh, you know corporate interests that are engaging in like shutting down actual you know public intellectuals by remove by like removing them from their tenures or removing them from their professorships and stuff like that. They're like the, the house Democrats are trying to like shut off, um, shut off Fox news, which it's fucked up. But I mean, unless you reinvoke the fairness doctrine, Fox news does have a right to exist. It's fucked up, but it does. And like, this is the thing. This is the thing. (laughs) It it reminds me also of um, you and I have talked in private about uh, this weekend's I care a lot. Uh, a movie which yeah. I think is pretty Bad. terrible. Um, yeah. Bad and, movie. But but there is there is a consensus that if you're not okay with this Marla Grayson character uh, scamming old ladies, but you are okay with the gangsters in a Martin Scorsese movie, then yeah. you're probably a misogynist. And is that true? I I don't think so. But you know what? Can it be uh, that I, I like? 
Can it be that I just like things that are well written? <laughs> well, I was just going to say, I'm going to move on to this yeah. weekend. Cherry comes out. And, yeah. and <laughs> that's my take. I, I'm moving on to this weekend's new movies. And Wiley I am not going to talk about I care a lot. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I don't want to be piecing it together. The the misogynist movie critic, you know, right. uh, so, yeah, yeah it, I just I never understand those 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 things to those those hills to die on. And um, this guy's had a successful career. He is that guy, though. Like I say, he is that like second type of guy that that is like fascinated by the I, I think that there's a part of those kind of people, their brains where it's like they feel uh, that like uh, what I try to imagine is like I, I try to take a guy like Mike Pesca. And a guy and guys that defend this position, and try to imagine if they had to be like an actual like either like I mean, and I hate to come off this way, but like if they had to actually be like a black woman in our society, one of the like least valued people in our society who right. gets shit on and treated like garbage and subjected to a million different double standards, like imagine like this personality transported into that body. And the experiences that he would have. You mean I can't do this? I can't do that? What do you mean? I don't have perfect credit? Oh my God. I don't, I didn't have like the, you know, I didn't go to Exeter growing up. I didn't like, you know, like I didn't have all these things. Like that's not fair. And it's like, oh yeah, well, here's the trade off. You get to say that one word. And it'd be like, oh, well, you know what? Never mind. I don't yeah. really want to, I never really wanted to say the word that much anyway. And right. yeah, how does it feel, asshole? <laughs> In, enjoy. Um, I don't know, man. I just thought it was funny, and this guy reminded me of like I, I, I didn't know if you had ever heard his podcast before. It used to be pretty good. I mean, it, it, when I was in a different mind frame, when I was in like a different political valence, like uh, I, I, I liked, I liked him. I liked his show. So mm -hmm. I don't want to like pretend. But then he got really centrist and i mean like like a lot of the country i and you got pulled further to the left and right. the the, pro the real problems of this country kind of became a little bit more apparent and hard to ignore with pithy dialogue and you know aaron sorkin level you know engagement with uh with, with don't with beat yourself up Q. i used i used to love bill maher so Oh yeah, I love Bill Maher too. And perfect example. Oh my God, actually, yes, that's a broader, more well-known, but perfect example. He's a he's Bill Maher basically. Bill Maher. Yeah. Uh, I, although I don't think Bill Maher is that interested in the like the um, intellectual debate behind why he can and can't say the N word. Right. But, he just says it. <laughs> <laughs> what was the other thing I wanted to talk to you about? Um, I forget. I, I set it up at the top. Oh yeah, that's right. Near Tandon. You don't know anything about Near Tandon, right? No. Okay, so Nera Tandon was one of these famously um, anti-Bernie liberals who I think her worst, probably her worst defense is that she ran this very well-moneyed, um, corrupt, and hopelessly um, conflicted uh, organization called the Center for American Progress, which billed itself as a think tank for progressive issues. And um, it's not, it's like against just go, I mean, like just go down the list of anything that a progressive believes in and they believe in like a watered down or version of it or the opposite of it. And um, she is personally the like apotheosis of it, right? She is, that is what she is. And um, so just like any good centrist, she was hoping for a big job in the Clinton administration. She was certain she would get it. That didn't materialize. So now she's hoping for 
to run the Office of Management and Budget, which is like this enormous, sprawling administrative entity that kind of runs, has its tentacles in a lot. It's like architecture or structural architecture in the background of the executive branch and in a lot of gov federal government. And uh, it's a big job. It's kind of a non-political job as much as everything is political at that level, right? Everything is political in some mm. way because it's like it's adhering to an agenda. But like broadly, this job is not supposed to be political. But all of her mean tweets, all of her anti-Bernie, anti-leftist, um, you know, because her famous thing is that she gets shit-faced and goes on Twitter and at like four in the morning and talk shit. And so all she had to delete like over a thousand uh, old tweets um, and, uh, I, the one thing I wanted to bring up that I thought was interesting is that the person who's blocking her is Joe Manchin, who is a Senator from West Virginia, who is famously conservative Democrat. Like he is probably the furthest right of all the Democrats in, I would say in all of the, in all of, um, the federal government, right? Like of, you know, uh, in, in the entire Congress. And, uh, you would think that she would have a an ally in him and instead he's saying that she's a little too divisive and that she's shown poor judgment and whatever um but somebody unearthed and i thought this was funny joe manchin also famously corrupt also famously um you know conflicted his daughter was the ceo of the company that raised the price of EpiPens through the roof hmm. uh five years ago and somebody found some very mild criticism that um Nira Tandon had made of his daughter. And, uh, I, you know, now it all just kind of makes more sense. I don't think... Sure. I, I think that, like, all of this stuff, if you try to graft um, principles onto it, like, oh, wow, maybe Joe Manchin just has principles. Or, like, maybe Nira Tandon just has principles about nothing. It's like, they just never do. It's always some, like, personal slight or insult or like some like like some way that one of them got fucked over and has a grievance or something like that mm -hmm. so my question for you is what uh what tweets are going to lose you your um senate confirmation bid i'm sure that they're out there uh there's there's probably probably a movie i didn't like i mean what else do i tweet about you know there's some like there's some like girl power movie or something that yeah. you tweeted like a very mild criticism about yeah like i i did oh please tell me you didn't tweet about um i care a lot no i did not yeah i i was just like i, I i'm gonna stay out of this one guys uh <laughs> I, i'm just not gonna talk about it but but yeah no i it makes me so sad when i don't like those movies <laughs> you know like like i mean we both have been critical of uh captain marvel for example uh yeah and, and wanted captain like, marvel to be good so yeah. badly like yeah. i mean i want to enjoy that kind of stuff with my daughter like i want to be like yeah this and honestly captain marvel is kind of like a movie where like maybe i can because it's like on a set level of a seven-year-old but it's not like a good movie <laughs> or anything you know right 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 oh geez dave what is this i just found from 20 2017 from you on your old twitter account uh francis mcdormand in three billboards can get it damn man. oh well i, I mean that, that that's accurate right she can get it <laughs> why would i have tweeted that like what, what in what world would i tweet that <laughs> <laughs> like you're like you're just like you're really taking the hero worship of um the coen brothers to the next level it's like you want to be having sex with francis mcdormand but let me be clear i love francis mcdormand so 